It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. Hey everybody, it's life and death out there. Yes, a life and death edition of Forward Nation Radio. And what I mean by that, of course, right now, death is kind of dominating the news. We will be discussing on today's show the tragic and untimely, to say the least, death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the fact that today, this very day as we record the podcast, the, we, the U.S. had passed the official count of 200,000 dead from COVID. That's the death part. The week began so much more promisingly when we discovered, scientists that is, discovered possible life, potentially the first life discovered in the universe outside of planet Earth, discovered perhaps in the clouds of Venus. I have to keep saying facts because they're not sure, in case you've missed what what they found is a chemical called phosphine, as if we know what that is. A chemical that, at least in our experiences on Earth, only results as a product of life. They have found it in the clouds of Venus and got us off to a really exciting start to the week. Before, of course, we spent the rest of the week coming back down to Earth. And of course, it may be that this life ends up also bringing us back to Earth, possible life on Venus. And we find that Venus, there are some other possible sources of phosphine. But it certainly was an exciting start again before it all came crashing down. And the rest of the week reminded us of the Monty Python, the famous Monty Python adage that we should pray that there is intelligent life somewhere up in space because there's bugger all down here on Earth. And no, I will spare you me singing the Monty Python galaxy song, but look it up on YouTube. It's worth a listen to. So we're going to start with discussion of life. There may be life around Venus. Is there life in the Attorney General of the United States of America, William Barr? Yes, this week, the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr, our highest law enforcement officer, has called for sedition charges against protesters for justice around America. Sedition charges charges takes us back, for those who missed this, to the glorious days of the Alien and Sedition Acts of 1798. And yeah, if I sound like I'm dripping with sarcasm, that's good. I'm finally getting this podcasting thing down. Yes, I'm dripping with sarcasm. This is one of the darkest moments in this country's history. Certainly one of the most embarrassing and darkest moments of President John Adams' history, forever sullying his reputation. When... Under John Adams, we passed these embarrassing four laws, which described restricted the activities of foreign residents in the country and limited freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Uh-oh, gee, when, when you put it that way, that kind of pretty much does describe the goals of the Trump administration, isn't it? Taking us back to the 
yes, not so glorious days of the Alien and Sedition Acts of 1798, which besmirched John Adams' reputation, divided this country, ultimately led to the repeal of just about all of them and the non-following of the last. So that's America. And the Attorney General of the United States reminds us that the question isn't really, is there life in William Barr? But is there any kind of justice in this country such that it could be life for William Barr? That this son of a bitch could spend the rest of his miserable existence in a prison he deserves to be in. This is the Trump administration, though, to turn your enemies, your your adversaries, rather, into illegal enemies, law-breaking enemies. That is, of course, the Trump strategy. You wonder why we might be heading to civil war in this country? <laughs> because the administration is doing its best to create one. Of course, this week we were given, as we always are, lots of reason to ask the question, is there possible life in Trump supporters? Could we possibly uncover some existence of possible life? Well, we're reminded that we need to keep asking this question now this week by Olivia Troy, who was a right-hand woman to Vice President Mike Pence. So that gives you pretty much an idea which where she's coming from as they start talking about which side she's on. This was a loyal servant of Mike Pence, a loyal Republican her whole life, who has come out with, a, with, an, with ads this week saying about Trump that the President of the United States in meetings said maybe COVID would be good because, quote, I don't have to shake hands with these disgusting people, close quote. This is a member of the Trump administration and lifelong Republican. It hasn't really been refuted. Said the president said, I don't have to shake hands with these disgusting people. You know, it, it, it almost makes you want to ask, could he possibly have also said they're deplorable? Because, you know, that would be bad, as we know. Well, no, it wouldn't. Because it's coming from the cult leader. It's coming from President Trump. And these people who he calls disgusting are disgusting in that they're still going to vote for him. Will any of these, his words, disgusting people, I guess they're also now my words, but his words, these disgusting people, his own effing supporters, the President of the United States describes as disgusting. Will any of these people decide that they might want to desert the cult leader on behalf of this? Don't spend your week holding your breath. In fact, as far as spending your week holding your breath, We also have to ask, we've had cause to ask, lots of cause this week, uh, is there possible life in Donald Trump, the president of the United States? Is there any working gray matter in the president of the United States? The, The week was a series of examples of the fact that people who think that this guy has some broad strategy, that this guy is playing three dimensional chess at some point, are totally, totally giving this guy so much too much credit because he is just an absolute moron 
who can't even handle tic-tac-toe. But this week, reminding us is just, no, there's no life in the president. There's certainly no brains. You might recall that last week, I had spoken about Donald Trump going to California regarding the wildfires, and I was willing to to bet, I said, I, I'm going to pose a hypothetical bet, that Donald Trump's advisors will be warned not to use the terms climate change in front of Donald Trump. Well, this week, Donald Trump, who famously noted, among other things, I don't think science knows what is happening has basically won me my bet. Now, to be fair, I'm reminded as I think about winning my bet, as I'm putting together the show, I'm reminded again, I'll, I'll, I'll cite popular culture, at least popular for me. This is, this is when Butch Cassidy, and Butch Cassidy, the Sundance kid, goes to Sundance. He's about to get into a fight that's probably going to cost him his life. And Butch says to Sundance, um, bet on the other guy. And Sundance's response was, I would, but who'd bet on you? And this is what I was reminded of when, of course, I argued that I would bet that the president of the United States will not, that nobody will even be willing to inform him about climate change. Well, I would have won that bet if anybody were were willing to make it with me. The president has spent the week insisting on attributing the burning of the entire West Coast of America, this unprecedented crisis, solely to poor forest management. Uh, sloughing off any kind of argument, any kind of discussion to bring in science and reality about uh, about climate change. Presumably, according to the President of the United States, they weren't watering California quite enough, and that's what led to this. I, I know, that's a little unfair. He talked about sweeping the forests. That's what he said. They weren't doing enough sweeping. This is the President of the United States. We're going to talk a little bit more about what a moron he is, that he has absolutely not a clue as to what is going on in the country. But th- that's almost not even the funniest part here. What I think some, too many commentators are not focusing on enough, as Donald Trump blames California, Oregon, and Washington for their own wa- wildfires for not sweeping the forests enough. There's at least some merit to the basic idea of forest management and fire prevention. And there is some merit to the idea that we haven't done everything we need to do. So the funniest parts of all his attacks on California and blue states and fire management is the reminder that 57% of the land in question is owned not by the state of California, but by the United States government, which might in fact fall under the management of, oh, a guy who doesn't manage anything, right? But, but some, some just naysayers might point out that that's kind of Donald Trump's job. And to the extent that he is talking about bad forest management, he's actually pointing at himself and his absolutely unqualified appointees. Gee, I wonder if maybe this is what happens when you fill the United States government with people who are absolutely unqualified to do their jobs. You wonder through all this, not only how people can avoid mentioning climate change to him, but how people around him can avoid just blurting out in normal conversation. What a fucking moron he is. How do people not say, are you fucking stupid? Oh shit, there goes my job and my future. Biden had a good 
at a good slant on this one. He came out well. I got to at least fit him in the conversation since he had better be our next president if we're going to survive this. When he referred to the president of the United States as a climate arsonist. I think that's great, and I hope they keep using that one. But anyway, the president showing that he doesn't have a clue what is going on in his own administration, how things work, I think maybe was highlighted most, uh, I don't want to say the word enjoyably or humorously, because it's just not a funny subject, but with health care. When he was asked about, he was asked at a town hall by a woman who has pre-existing conditions and is somehow worried about Donald Trump's plans to take away her health insurance and presumably murder her. Assuming that the, you know, the tens and scores of thousands of Americans he's already murdered with COVID just, you know, doesn't, doesn't quite satisfy him enough. He's got to kill a whole bunch more by taking away their health care. And she was concerned that she was one. Go listen to the tape on this one. The president of the United States, look, again, it's not just that he doesn't know what's going on in his administration. It's not just that he's a bald-faced liar, and it could be either one or both here. That he responds to her by saying we are not going, basically by saying we're not going to take away coverage for pre-existing conditions. At the very same time that his administration is arguing in front of the United States Supreme Court to take away coverage for pre-existing conditions. And he spent four years trying to get rid of the pre-existing conditions mandate in Obamacare. So he could be a bald-faced liar. He is. But in this, in this case, he's got another plausible argument that he's not a bald-faced liar. He's so fucking clueless that he doesn't know. If you listen to what he says, it is clear that the President of the United States has no idea what a pre-existing condition is. I don't think I'm being unfair here. Listen to it. He doesn't know what the hell she is talking about after four years of trying to get rid of Obamacare and probably... 10 years or more of criticizing it. He doesn't have a clue. The man is functionally brain dead. Of course, his assault on reality doesn't end with healthcare and trying to ruin people's lives there. As I indicated, it extends easily to COVID. And the assault on reality this week, it just, it's hard. It's just hard to keep saying this. But it gets worse and worse. We have, as I noted up top, passed 200,000 dead. In fact, the, the scientific naysayers who were, who were disputed and uh, cast aside by Trump from the very beginning, who had said that we will be surpassing 200,000 dead by Election Day, have proven to be way too optimistic. We are six weeks before Election Day, and we've already passed 200,000 official dead. Again, I want to remind you, that is all experts seem to think that number is way too low. That, in fact, Trump himself is probably responsible for 200,000 dead Americans from COVID alone. Out of the almost million dead worldwide, the United States has more than a fifth with something like 3% of the world's population. That kind of gives you an idea. Other things, I, I, read, reading that puts this in context, having read that this is two and a half times the number of dead U.S. servicemen from Vietnam and Korea combined. Two and a half times. Wars that just completely 
turned upside down this country. And need I point out, cases are going back up right now as I speak. The numbers were doing better for a little while, but now we are back on the upsurge and we are heading into cooler weather where scientists have long predicted COVID was going to come back and come back strong. So we've got the president denying everything. We've got the president holding huge indoor campaign rallies. That's the week. While all this is going on, Donald Trump continues to hold huge indoor campaign rallies and murder, in this case, hopefully just his supporters, though they will take it to better people. No matter if you're Donald Trump and you're the Republican Party, you just wish away reality when it becomes inconvenient for you. This was Trump again on pre-existing conditions at the town at the town hall dealing with COVID. This is a guy who's trying to take away health care from millions of Americans during a deadly global pandemic and possibly has no freaking clue that he's even doing that. But anyway, his assault on reality when it came to COVID started innocently enough during the week. And not really innocently enough, but it's going to get worse. And that's when many days ago at this point, Dr. Robert Redfield, the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, told senators in a public hearing that if all Americans wore masks, the coronavirus could be controlled in 6 to 12 weeks. He went on to point out that masks are the most important, powerful public health tool we have in fighting the pandemic. He also went on to note that a vaccine is unlikely to be available for wide use until the middle of next year. And for that matter, that wearing masks is probably more beneficial for public safety than the vaccine will be when it is finally introduced. In other words, the director of the CDC Um, What a freedom-hating pussy that guy is. He must be Antifa. That guy hates freedom. Telling Americans that we should be wearing masks to battle a, a pandemic? Oh my God, I wonder if he's part of the George Soros Jewish conspiracy against Donald Trump in America. Yes, this is what's happening on the right at this point, these morons. Um... Donald Trump, of course, responded to an actual scientist, the head of the CDC, testifying to reality by, of course, wishing away reality. Donald Trump says, what does he know? Speaking of the head of the CDC, in effect, Donald Trump says, oh, what does he know? Has he ever been in my ass? Because my ass is where I get all of my best information. Somewhere out there, Mike Pence is is going, "Uh, has somebody called me? Did I hear Donald Trump's ass? I'm coming. I'm coming, mother. Donald Trump said, does he even know the head of the CDC? Is he familiar with the whole concept of herd mentality? And yes, I hope you've heard this. That wasn't me misspeaking. That is the leader of the free world the president of the United States, not just misspeaking, but clearly indicating that he does not know what the hell he is talking about. He has no idea what is going on regarding the COVID response. The term, of course, as you, my informed and faithful listeners know, is herd immunity. 
Now, again, let's ignore the fact that experts think that if we actually tried to go for herd immunity, in other words, young people, go out there and get yourself infected and let's build up enough, uh, enough people who maybe have antibodies to ward this off. Maybe, we don't even know that, that that's the best way to get on top of this. It will result in probably millions of more Americans dead. dead. Okay, so let's ignore um, for the moment the fact that it's actually not really an option in America or not a palatable option. The president of the United States doesn't even know what it is or what the term is. Here's his, uh, you'll develop, uh, you'll develop herd like like a herd mentality. It's gonna be it's it's going to be herd developed, and but, but and that's going to happen. That will all happen. Sorry, it's been a while since I've worked on my Trump impersonation. This is the president of the United States. He has no clue. Maybe it's Freudian there because, of course, herd mentality is what keeps the fucking morons voting for this stupid piece of crap. So maybe he sort of, I mean, he's so focused on the idea of herd mentality for his, from his cultist supporters and he doesn't freaking know the difference. He went on to say, when I called up Robert today, I said, what's with the mask? He said, I think I answered that question incorrectly. I think maybe he had misunderstood it. Right. Does anybody want to bet whether this conversation happened? Whether the head of the CDC said, I think I answered that question incorrectly. And now that I'm talking to you, Mr. President, I see the error of my ways. Anybody want to bet on that? Yeah. So the president wishes away reality so that Americans could die and then just keeps lying about it. In other words, another week, a typical week in Trumpville. But of course, then it got worse. When, of course, Politico came out with what's being described as a bombshell report that politically appointed members of the Department of Health and, and Human Services communications teams were allowed to review, change, and delay reports authored by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That political appointees, know-nothing, college Republican jackasses, were editing medical information from the CDC. To go on, the political report said that the CDC's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Reports, MMWR, a public report compiled by scientists that served as a key communication avenue between the CDC and healthcare providers, researchers, journalists, and the public since the 1980s has been tinkered with, i.e. spoiled, corrupted, undermined, when CDC findings didn't align with President Trump's public statements about coronavirus. In other words... Donald Trump lives in a fantasy world, so let's try to get the rest of us into that fantasy world. You know, maybe we can get COVID into that fantasy world and then we'll all be okay, but good luck with that. To give you an idea what this is like, I knew this was bad, and then I was having a conversation about this over the weekend with my nephew, the doctor. You know, my nephew, the doctor? Um, that was half Trump, half old Jewish lady. It was all pathetic. But anyway, my nephew, the doc, that was me cavelling anyway. Um, my, my nephew, God, I hope he's not listening. Um, uh, my nephew, talking to my nephew who's, who's a, who does infectious diseases in children. This is what he does. And he said to me, I, I, I'm not sure I've seen him this angry. He's, he's 
angry. He doesn't like Trump and all that. But this really got to him. And he says, you just don't understand. This is our Bible. I consult this MMWR every single day of my life. And I make medical decisions to treat children based on its findings. The idea that they are corrupting it is almost inconceivable to people in the medical community, and it should be almost inconceivable to us. And once again, we're going to add a whole lot to the list of Donald Trump numbers of Americans that he's murdered during his short so far time, as it doesn't seem that way, as president of the United States. Life on Venus. We keep being reminded of Monty Python. Is there any intelligent life in the United States? I heard during the week on one of my podcasts, I think it was Pod Save America, that they were talking about how the blow to Donald Trump, that only 35% in recent polls approved of Trump's handling of, the, of COVID. And maybe that's a really good sign going into the election in November. And all I could think of when I hear that is, 35% of America approves of this criminal, incompetent, uncaring, son of a bitch's handling of COVID, which is basically just to lie so that more people could get sick and die. 35% of Americans approve of this. There's obviously intelligent life in this country, but God, there is way too much unintelligent life in this country. And we're going to find out if there's enough to end this country in less than six weeks from today, because reality is on the ballot in November. Unfortunately, they pointed out, reality is not actually waiting for the result of the election in November, and reality is busy killing people right now as the numbers continue to go up. Donald Trump's lies continue to kill Americans, and it's only gonna get worse. As, of course, is the entire country. Speaking of things destroying this country before we move off of this and, and HHS, it was earlier this week, it seems like so long ago, that Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs Michael Caputo was back in the news. This is a political Trump appointee who's absolutely unqualified for his job. Back in the news after reports came out that he interfered with the CDC reports on plague. He was promoting the president's politics over public health. What a surprise. He accused career scientists at the CDC of plotting against Trump and encouraged his viewers to stock up on ammunition because when Donald Trump refuses to stand down at the inauguration, the shooting will begin. In other words, he not only is lying so that they can continue to kill their own supporters, he is lying in ways that make sure that his supporters start the next civil war if things don't go the way they want. Maybe there's some good news. Mr. Caputo is now taking a leave of absence to focus on his health. Oops, a little bit too late for that. And apparently spending more time trying to track down his family. Of course, among Trump's co-conspirators, Roger Stone's co-conspirator was in the news this week. Remember the guy who had been sentenced to 40 months for lying to Congress and for witness tampering uh, to be a co-conspirator of Donald Trump? Urged the president to institute martial law if he is not reelected and invoke the Insurrection Act, it's not just William Barr, to arrest political opponents. The ballots in Nevada on, on election night should be seized by federal marshals, he said. Just following his boss's lead, where Trump, in a Fox News interview, where else? 
was asked what he would do if, if his opponents riot on election night. His answer, we'll put them down very quickly. Usual big talk from President Bone Spurs. But keep in mind, this isn't just rhetoric. He is speaking to the stupidest, angriest, and most heavily armed people on the planet. And this was the same interview in which he said this, in which he applauded U.S. Marshals' killing of suspected killer of a right-wing piece of shit, Michael Rhino. Suspected, by the way, not convicted. And he applauded that extrajudicial killing. We are reminded that in order to get elected president, Donald Trump spent time on the campaign trail in 2016 trying to incite violence out of his supporters. So I guess we'll call this Civil War Watch 2020. Back to Court Watch, something that has been a regular staple now on this show, as I have been talking about the state of U.S. courts and how the underserved story of the decade is how Republicans have corrupted our federal courts and stolen judgeships all across America. Well, of course, we were reminded of that fact with Justice Ginsburg's tragic passing. But as I've been saying, I want to, I want to before we get into talking about the impact of the, of the death of Justice Ginsburg in the vacant Supreme Court seat, I want to talk before that about lower courts, which I've been trying to focus my listeners on for a long time. It's not just about the United States Supreme Court, it's the lower courts as well. And even before Justice Ginsburg passing brought the court into the news, into the news cycle, the, the court was going to be in the news anyway, at least on this show. When a Ninth Circuit panel, this is a circuit court one step below the United States Supreme Court, ruled that Donald Trump can kick out 400,000 immigrants from America, that he did not act illegally in terminating legal protections for 400,000 immigrants who have been living and working in this country, in some cases, for decades. Hey, if the decision was compelled by the law, it is a tragic result. It is inhumane, but the law is the law. But that's not what's going on all across America. This was a two-to-one decision, again. And the two in the majority, a Donald Trump appointee and a George W. Bush appointee. Almost certainly two right-wing apparatchiks who probably were unqualified to be on the court in the first place. They ruled that Donald Trump's bigotry, oft-stated bigotry, obvious bigotry, should not be considered and was not a bar to his kicking these people out of the country. Obviously, for, for Trump and W appointees, reality does not get in the way of what they were hired to do. It was a reminder even before Ginsburg's passing that if this country is going to survive November 3rd, the Democrats are going to need to pack the federal courts. The Democrats are going to need to undo what the Republicans have done. Good luck with that, but that brings us to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I want to pay a little bit of homage to someone who has dedicated her life to the law and to justice and to using the law the way most of us think it should be intended to help the disadvantaged and those who face discrimination. Obviously, someone hated by Republicans for, you know, for obvious reasons. Someone who thought that the law could be used to create a better public good, kind of what the law is supposed to be for. There's my homage. Better People who are better positioned to pay homage to Justice Ginsburg than me are doing so, and you should listen to some of that because... 
she was a really impressive human being and an impressive jurist. And God help us what she's going to be replaced with. We, we will be reminded of when Thurgood Marshall was replaced by Clarence Thomas and what, and what that did, did for humanity on the United States Supreme Court. But, of course, what I want to focus on is the future of the United States Supreme Court and the future of this country. You've all heard the manipulations at this point. You've heard that Republicans who spent almost the last year of the Obama presidency not acting on Obama's centrist appointment or nomination, Merrick Garland, will now completely switch gears, be completely hypocritical, brazenly show that all they are about is stealing court seats. And have already shown that they are determined to fill this seat while Donald Trump is president before it's too late, before the election, or barring that, after the election and bef- during a lame duck session of Senate before the new, uh, the new Senate and the new president take over. People ask how Moscow Mitch, Mitch McConnell, who said that we should, we should let the American people decide in 2016 rather than act on Obama's pick and who as I've pointed out several times on the show then proceeded to not let the American people decide by letting Donald Trump who the American people rejected name the next Supreme Court justice whatever he w- it was a joke from the very beginning that anybody would argue that that this man has any integrity whatsoever that there was any actual plausible argument to what he was doing other than outright theft The fact that we even ask this question about Moscow Mitch, again, Moscow Mitch, is why liberals cannot win in the long run. They just can't ever seem to win. Or at least the deck is stacked so firmly against them. And it's stacked against them because they fundamentally believe in a certain amount of decency. They believe that there is a process. They believe, they believe there are rules. There's a sense of justice and fairness. And they will always lose to the political criminal organization that believes in none of those things. We have Lindsey Graham, the, the new chair of the Judiciary Committee, saying, I am certain if the shoe were on the other foot, you would do the same thing. Now, Lindsey Graham, for those who haven't heard this, was one of the most outspoken in 2016 in saying, he specifically said, use my words against me. You should not, we should not confirm a Supreme Court appointee in the last year of presidency in a, in a presidential election year. Well, anybody surprised that Lindsey Graham is now saying the exact opposite? Use my words against me. It doesn't matter. The people who vote for me don't listen to words. They don't live in reality. The news here isn't that Graham is a hypocrite. I mean, this is a guy who warned America against a president who was utterly uh, incapable and unwilling to perform the job, was completely unqualified, who then became his biggest ass licker, Lindsey Graham. I mean, the guy's a freaking puppy dog. He's a pathetic, I like puppy dogs, so that's a bad, I'm sorry to go with that metaphor. He's a pathetic excuse for a so-called human being. That's not a surprise. The surprise is that anybody's surprised. That's the surprise. 
The GOP has absolutely no scruples, no honor, no respect for this country, no respect for the Constitution, and as Donald Trump keeps illustrating, no respect for its own freaking voters. All discussions of what's going to happen now to fill this vacancy, let's be clear, all of them are about politics. All of them are, will the Republicans do this because it will help them in the election, hurt them in the election? What will happen? What will they do? Maybe they'll wait until afterwards. There is no discussion that I have ever heard about what is the legal, honorable thing to do. None. Because there is no integrity in the Republican Party. And yet we're shocked when we find out that there's no integrity in the Republican Party. I have been saying this for almost four years now on this show and a hell of a lot longer in my classes. This is a reminder that, that the, the selfish and the toadies, you would do the same thing. I'm certain you would do the same thing if the shoe were on the foot. But the thing is, we wouldn't do the same thing. We haven't done the same thing and we don't do the same thing. Again, a reminder that people with no principles or scruples, unbelievably selfish human beings who are incapable of thinking of anybody but themselves, cannot understand people who can. They just don't understand us. Like again, when my conservative friend years ago, when I brought my hybrid car, who said to me, bad move, you're never going to make your money back in gas savings. And I, I just, it just dawned on me. We will never have a meeting of the minds because you can't even conceive of the possibility that I didn't do this for me. It just doesn't compute for you that people might act not out of selfishness. So they're trying to give some plausibility to this. They're trying to make it look like there is some principle in stealing another Supreme Court, in racing, not even holding any kind of hearings. You know, we did that the last time with Brett Kavanaugh. We found out since then the extent to which they have covered up Kavanaugh's judicial record before his Supreme Court appointment. To try to throw something out there that makes it sound like they have the slightest principle for anybody who might be offended by their outright brazen theft. They're now hanging on the, I feel like, ooh, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. What we meant to say was that you don't confirm a Supreme Court nominee in a presidential year only when the Senate and the president are of opposite parties, when the Senate controls by opposite parties. Then you don't do it. Only then do we give a shit about the American people. Did we say the American people? We didn't mean that. That was, that was just window dressing. Or in other words, let's, let's translate what the Republicans are saying right now. The only time you can rush through a Supreme Court appointment in the last year of presidency is when neither the president nor the Senate doing the confirming have any political legitimacy. That's the argument. Neither one of them have any political legitimacy. The president of the United States lost the vote, unlike Obama who won. The president lost. The Senate, as I keep reminding you every few weeks, also lost the election. Democrats represent about 15 million more Americans in the United States Senate than Republicans do. They're a minority because the Senate is not Democratic. So the Republicans' principled argument, as we head into an election in which almost certainly... The Republicans will be rejected nationally for the seventh out of the seventh time in the last eight elections. Seven out of eight, they will have lost. 
Their argument comes down to screw the American people. You can only appoint a, a, a Supreme Court justice in the last year when it clearly goes against the wishes of the American people, both in the presidency and in the Senate. This is the evil scum. Let's, let's talk for a moment about the impact, just so we're clear what we're talking about here. Obviously, we've, we've, we've talked about abortion, and, and you've been reading about abortion, and it, it will be the end of Roe v. Wade. Guns in schools. I, li- I like this one to come. When they, if they get the sixth appointment, and it stays the way it is, Guns will be brought to school legally nationwide. They will be brought to church. They will be brought to bars. They will be brought everywhere legally nationwide. In fact, restrictions on the types of guns and the number of police they could kill with one cop killing bullet will also go out the window. Contraception will be back on the table. It might take a little bit longer, but pretty soon they might basically rule out contraception. And while goodbye abortion in the short term just means abortion protections, and for the time being, people who live in blue states will still have rights to abortion, don't kid yourself. Coming down the pike in a few years with this kind of Supreme Court will be not just an end to abortion protections, but an end to abortion. The next level, the next step will be to rule that abortion itself is unconstitutional. But it means goodbye to affirmative action, which you might be interested in as we see millions of Americans protesting for racial justice and reminding us how we don't have any in America. And affirmative action is designed to try to give a little more racial justice. Goodbye. Goodbye to government regulations protecting workers, poor people, sick people, Americans, as opposed to rich people, the planet. Hello, sick workers and citizens. As a result, hello, people getting sicker and sicker and sicker and dying younger as their air, their water, and their food gets more and more polluted. Goodbye to workers, for that matter. Goodbye to the law. Goodbye to any faithful, legitimate application of law. In the absence of law, you have anarchy and you have destruction. That is what we are heading to unless something here is addressed. Goodbye to elections. All of the Republican efforts to suppress votes will be supported by the United States Supreme Court. Everything they do to stop black people and minorities from voting will be acceptable to the United States Supreme Court. Goodbye to the environment and considering climate change involved, goodbye to the planet, where even if we ever get a government that is inclined to protect the environment and save the planet, the United States Supreme Court will tell it that it cannot do that legally must be left up to the states, states' rights. This is what is at stake here. It is about further entrenching in power a minority that is firmly rejected by a majority of the American public, a minority that goes against reality and the world as normal people see it, a minority that right now stands in the way of the progress that the vast majority of this country is hoping for. This is a roadblock to the future that Americans want and need. And what will it mean? It will mean if Joe Biden is elected president and gets a Democratic Senate and and the Republicans have pushed through this pick, it will leave the Democrats no choice. I don't care how big pussies they are, and they are huge pussies. I don't care. It will leave them absolutely no choice but to pack the court if they win. None. 
it will be so clear that the Republicans have stolen everything that the Democrats will have no choice but to expand the size of the United States Supreme Court, as far as I'm concerned, by at least four justices to get a majority. And the Republicans will say, we'll talk about the process. And finally, maybe Democrats will have to wake up and say, we are tired of treating you as if you have any integrity. If you want to destroy this country and cheat all you can to win, we are done playing. Well, we're, we're done fighting. We're going to play your game, I guess is what I'm going to do. It will probably cost them because Democrats represent people who have sense and integrity and want to see this country exist and the rule of law work in some kind of comedy. It will probably cost them at the polls. That is why, at this point, it's almost hard to see how this country survives. Because if you have any decency and you want to support the people of this country, you will be punished politically. Rest in peace, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. We will be back soon with more. Until then, be well, be safe. been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 